When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of No Really I'm Fine and today you are blessed because it's just me and Michael and we're here to have a chat and to finally reveal a bit about ourselves because I'm sure you've all been wanting to know our stories as as the series have gone on Um, so we're here today to tell you them and we're going to start with with Michael's first. This one's quite a special one because Michael's not really been quite He's not, he's not been vocal about, you've not been vocal, have you, before about, about your own experience? Well, you have, but not to the extent that yeah. I feel like I'm always banging on about <laughs> mine. But um, <laughs> um, So I feel like it would be really special for our listeners to sort of have that bit more of a connection with us as hosts, even though we always try and make the podcast about our guests, which yeah. is what it should be about. But I feel like we... We owe it to our listeners to sort of. Well, I think a lot of. Tell them about sorry, us. I think a lot of our guests and that we've had on have said, you know, have you, you know, so they've all said the same thing. Sharing their story has been a massive part of their journey, and it's been something that they've found really therapeutic. Mm. And a lot of our guests have said, oh, you know, I, we ha- we had Izzy Judd on the other week, and she when I, when we finished the recording the interview, she was saying, oh, you know have you talked about your story and stuff like that? And I said, not really. And she said, no, no, you have to, like, you have to do it. Like, it's really important for us. And I feel like, you know, I definitely couldn't have done this a year ago, you know, (laughs) but, you know, at the same time, I think I'd want this discussion, what we have today to be a really positive one, because although sort of a lot of mental health stories are tinged with sort of sadness, the discussions we should be having now is around normalizing the conversation and making it really vivid that in a sense that actually people can take inspiration from it. And there's a bit of comedy for it in there. I feel like there's not enough comedy mm. in mental health. <laughs> and yeah. if anyone knows me, I'm quite like a funny character. I'm definitely a character. <laughs> like not You a, are. No. Not, not a human. <laughs> I'm not a human. I'm a character. But no, you know, you're I very like... <laughs> bubbly and, and and you're very theatrical of yeah. course, no, of course. Well, given your background <laughs> like and, and and that's the thing i think that's a big thing that you know like what that the discussion we have around mental health you look at other podcasts like um um you me and the big c which is not a mental health podcast well you know it's a it's a health podcast around cancer and it's a big one for the bbc and they really normalize the conversation around cancer and and sort of we're able to have a joke and have a laugh and we should be able to do that same thing with our podcast so it's it's quite hard with mental health because the topics can be really sort of you know they they can be about depression and they can be about suicide and they can be about all of these awful things but i think one thing that I've learned this year is being open about your mental health is only a good thing. You know, like I, you know, when we started doing this in May last year, I never thought that I'd be so open about my mental health. You know, I've never ever spoken about, 
you know, my struggles, which I've had since I was a teenager and, you know, yeah, but we've got there. But actually, do you know, this is the first time I've actually seen you this year. I know. <laughs> physically. <laughs> I haven't talked to you all the time, but this is physically the first time I've seen you because you've been off and you're, you've just been decorating your house, haven't you? Oh, don't talk to me about the house. But yeah, but it's actually a good therapeutic way to deal with anxiety because I was so focused on getting that wallpaper off that I didn't have time to think about anything else, which I know is that's good. What, yeah, no, it is. And it's in, in, in it, I suppose moving house, moving in you know, together with your boyfriend and that's mm. a big thing. That's a really nice step to have. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I've not killed him yet, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and actually that's that's quite an interesting thing maybe we'll talk about a bit later is that, you know, it's really nice that actually you've been been able to sort of have a relationship while, you know, having, you know, some severe mental health conditions and and you know, that that really well, I'm guessing that keeps you grounded. It's just mm. someone to to really rely on and it's like that's something about me I don't have that so I've had to sort of you know like for me I've always tried to make sure that I've had a really good network of friends around me because I've not had one person I could fall on actually I've felt more at ease that I've had that I can then have multiple people to fall on it's like right now it's this person's day to 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 hear about my stresses and and give the other person a day off which you know has been you know a massive thing for me but I suppose that's a nice thing for you because you've yeah. got to have that um but you you yeah I, I don't want to talk about me today because it's it's about you this episode <laughs> so um but I feel like from, from from my point of view um you know watching you um sort of progress with the podcast in terms of being more open like you mentioned before because I remember when we first started and you were um not you you sort of had a little bit of a guard up in terms of about your own sort of um, mental illnesses and and feelings about about the past even though you you had briefly spoken to me about it but I sense that you definitely weren't ready at that stage and that that's completely fine Um, and I feel it was nice to see from my point of view at the more we progressed with the podcast the more the, the different people that we met you started to open up a bit more um and and that was really nice because it's sort of like you mentioned before it sort of emphasized the the feeling in me that the more you talk about it with someone else the more you start to feel okay about what you're feeling as well and it's not to say that everyone should talk straight away because clearly you weren't ready last year and last night so I feel like it's nice that I've personally gone on that journey with you as well for you to open up more. No, and no, I think that's been a really nice thing for us to have and for like, you know, for us as part of this show as well, because, you know, talking about mental health isn't easy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I, as I said just before, we need to normalise this conversation. So, you know, if me talking about, you know, the the depression and the anxiety that I went through as a teenager and then when it resurfaced uh, a a year or two ago you know that if that helps someone then you know we're doing our job right I suppose. So So, so let's go into that then um, for our listeners you know Let's start from the beginning with with yourself, Michael. As, a as very we do, good place to start. Yes, if we're uh, quoting Sound of Music. Yeah. So. <laughs> as we do with many guests. So, <laughs> what was your first experience of anxiety, depression, or I well, mean, I, I suppose my, so my first experience of anxiety and depression came when I was about seventeen, eighteen. But I think for me, when I was younger, maybe the the symptoms were there, and I just sort of you don't I know what it is. I, at that yeah, age, and, do you? I, and I think so. 
the thing about me was is that my so my mum uh she is um she works well she now runs her own care company and she helps a range of different people so you've got the elderly and then you have um also younger people that she supports who have mental health conditions who have severe sort of disabilities learning difficulties um people who are physically disabled and things like that so she has this really inspiring job really where you know she's she's always been caring for other people and she's very clever in some ways, but not so clever in other ways. I mean, she can't. Well, no, she can't. She can't work. Sorry, her, no, well, no, she she can't work her phone. She can't. Yeah. Do you know, like those are sort of mum things where she sort of like she FaceTimed me. The, she, I tried to FaceTime her the other day. And it was just her, it was just a, a picture of her chin. <laughs> and she turned, she thought I'd rang her in the car and she pressed OK on the so on the hands free and then all I could see was her driving and like her chin and she thought she was having a she thought I was on FaceTime with her and like she just you know those moments yeah. but anyway she's she's very clever in the sense that um if someone has a, a, a an issue a disability things like that that she will find a way to actually actively tackle that head on not just be like okay we're just going to live with this we're just we're just going to deal with this so you know if someone is if someone has a physical disability, it's not like, let's not let that hinder you. Let's go. And, you know, like if you have, you know, you have issues with walking, she will, she's worked, I know, with people who have had, um, needed to use hydrotherapy pools and, and, and she's very keen about getting them active and getting them going and things like that. And so when I was younger, I was um, diagnosed with attention deficit disorder and a mild, a mild form of, um, uh, uh, dyspraxia, which is a mild form of dyslexia, but it's all about um, numbers and things like that. So, and it's all about um, coordination. So I have really bad coordination. So I literally can't catch a ball, like literally physically cannot catch a ball. Like if you know people, I, that's the source of anxiety when people go catch this or whatever, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> then you get that. But for my mum, what about was that was saying when, okay, right, you have attention deficit disorder, which is a mild form of ADHD. Well, it's a different form of, it's not ADHD or it's, a, it's ADD is, you know, I, I literally struggle to string a sentence together. So if this conversation is really disjointed, that's literally my fault and that's my ADD. Because when I'm, exa- when I'm anxious, that's what happens again. Yeah. And, and it sort of goes into that vicious circle of like my physical not I don't I don't call it a disability but my physical learning difficulty and sort of my anxiety go into like this little circle where it's like a hydron collider going like this all the time so I get so I could literally lose my trail of thought anytime but not to lose my trail of thought <laughs> my mum told me that she said two things right with attention deficit disorder that's a bit hard because it's really hard to concentrate so with my dyspraxia, with my coordination, she actually, because we're quite a musical family, um, I grew up, um, so from when I was about 10 till I was 18, I trained a classical singer, um, got involved with a lot of things that way. But she actually, when I got, got this diagnosed, di- diagnosed, what am I saying? <laughs> di- when I was diagnosed with this, when I was about, I was, I can't remember the age, but I was in year six. Can you, I was, do you know? Oh, that, it was quite you, early, but 10, 11. Yeah. Cause yeah. like, you know, when you like, you can't remember how old you are, but you just go, you're year six, year seven. Mine's the <laughs> way around. I forget like the year. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So she got me involved with drum lessons. So I learned how to play the drums. I already knew how to play, the, well, quite badly how to play the piano. 
And she sort of enrolled me into sort of keeping my coordination by playing the drums and it massively helped me. And that was a big thing about my mum. And that was something that stilled with me throughout my my childhood really, that if I had these difficulties and I was sort of struggling with anxiety or, you know, I didn't know what they were then, you know, when I was, when, when I eventually was diagnosed with anxiety and depression, I literally had no idea what it meant. And I came, I come from quite a rural part of England, Northumberland. It's on the border with Scotland. You know, there's, it's sort of the biggest, it's one of the biggest counties in the country, but the, one of the least populated. <laughs> so, you know, it's a very, a very rural place. And, you know, you go to the one GP that your family have gone to for years and they don't know about, you know, they don't have the training or anything, yeah. especially, you know, nearly 10 years ago when I was, when I, yeah, 10, it'd be 10 years ago next year when I was sort of diagnosed with anxiety and depression. They didn't know what that was and I didn't know how to tackle it. What happened was um, my anxiety and depression didn't come, I don't think, from anywhere particular. It actually, it, uh, sorry, it did. It didn't come from, oh, I've, when we've heard a lot of people talk about, oh, I, you know, I knew I was anxious from a young age and things like that. That wasn't me at all. I, as I said, I did um, classical singing. Uh, one of my other ways that my, my parents tried to combat my confidence issues around attention deficit disorder was that they got me to go on the stage. So from the age of 10, I remember my mum and dad sitting me down in a pub after a, in a holiday in the Lake District and saying, we want you to to go and enrol in the local youth theatre because we think it might help your confidence. It might help you, you know, you just you just get out there and do more things like they knew that I had a half decent singing voice. So they enrolled me in singing lessons. And that was a place where, you know, you could go and be a different person, a different mm. character, escape from feelings and things like that and you could go on the stage and be someone else and and you know that was a real place of safe that was a safe space for me going on the stage and performing and because you could leave the anxiety in the wings and I have really vivid memories of just before going on the stage you have the wings of the side of the stage and you sort of usually have three wings or four wings in this in it around the sides and I remember just before going on I people always say to me, "Oh, do you not get nervous?" And it's as I always say, actually, my, if you ever notice the very first line I'll ever say when I go on the stage, because I still do theatre today, as you know, I mm. do stuff in Liverpool at the beautiful Royal Court Theatre. You know, it's a huge theatre that seats nearly one thousand five hundred people, and I actually have no idea how I go and do that. <laughs> and but they always say that when I go onto the stage. I'm a, I'm really anxious. The very first line that I say is usually really bad mm. because I really struggle to get that out. But then after that, I've sort of taught my brain to live with that anxiety and embrace it and take that forward with me. Come with me on the stage. That must be quite a hard mi mindset to get used to because oh, yeah. not everyone can do that. But no. I suppose you've had I, time yeah, to... I've had to train that. And yeah. I think a, a big theme for me throughout my career with... <laughs> with anxiety and depression is that is that I've I've had to find a way of um really bringing it with me and yeah. owning it and not necessarily forgetting about it and putting it away yeah. I, because I did it and it didn't work so what happened was when I was 17 I was in a car incident and um it absolutely knocked me completely completely knocked me back sort of not so much I, the, I was never diagnosed I don't think you can be diagnosed but 
what happened was that the car incident happened and it was Thursday. It was a really bad time. And then the uh, we'd had this awful incident and I had to go down to the police station on the evening. And actually that evening I was meant to be doing a dress rehearsal for a show that was going on the following week. And I just remember going to there and I was just from then on, from that moment on, I was like a shell of myself. Talk and to me about the car and accident. Well, I don't, I, I mean, I, I probably, I, that, that probably isn't the important bit for me. Like, it, you know, it, it happened and, you know, it happened while I was at school and, you know, that, you know, it became a thing where actually, because it was quite, we were quite, as I was saying, a, a small community. Everyone knew about what had happened and I, I couldn't go back to school. And I decided, I went into that school the same day after the incident. And then, then I'd had a chat with the the head of sixth form and I said, I just can't come back to school. I just couldn't do it. And I just knew, I just knew something wasn't right. I just wasn't myself. And I then went that evening to go to, I went that evening to go to the theatre and my mum had a word and I just, there was, there was this picture. Someone took a rehearsal picture because it was the dress rehearsal. And I just remember seeing this picture and I think I've deleted it because I've talked to you about this picture before. I think it's, I, I think it's removed from social media now. And there was this picture of me on the stage and I was white as a sheet, absolutely white. And I, I don't think my face returned to normal for a good few months and how I dealt with with that incident was locking myself away I didn't eat I lost loads of weight um there's a picture another picture as well because it's funny now you resort you resort back to pictures mm. and there was a picture of me where I'm sort of me and my friend for some reason was sat inside a caravan like a show caravan <laughs> and we were just sat there and there's a picture of me and my friend and we were like doing like a really childish thing and pretending to pose in the caravan like as you do and I just remember looking at that picture and it was like Jesus like I was so skinny like absolute like do you know like absolute shadow uh, you know didn't even look like myself at all and that happened for about three four months and I shipped my friends out wouldn't speak to them like I you know like you you talk about having social media and phones now 10 years ago that was sort of just rising and I remember I just sort of left my phone on the bedside table in the house in my bedroom and I would just have friends messaging me going are you okay how are you what are you doing blah 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 and I just ignored every single one of them I'd shut everybody out wouldn't I lost friends you know, I, that was maybe a testament of sort of learning who real friends were because the real friends persisted and then the ones that didn't care so much and just wanted to find out the gossip sort of didn't really speak to me again. And that was probably a good test in that. But, you know, I, I then went in, I think my mum took me to the doctors because she knew I wasn't right. And I was diagnosed with... Um, uh, anxiety and quite severe depression and they put me at well they didn't want it they, they were very keen at first because as I said it was the same doctor I'd had all my life and knew me they were very keen not to put me on any medication so I didn't go to medication at first and then what I did was I had um I had therapy from then and because I was 17 so this was so this was about April time and the incident happened in January so it took me a good four months to go and actually get help 
and then you know from a from a doctor or anything like that but what they did do is there was a, there was a service where if you were under 18 and you were depressed and had anxiety that you um went to a therapist and so i went to a therapist so i can't you know back then you didn't know if it was like cb you know you didn't know yeah. i didn't know these names and and the thing was was we went i went to the the therapist and i remember i had to drive down to ashington which is like a place so i lived in a place called annick and ashington was about half an hour drive this was how rural things were so i had to get back in the car have the physical anxiety of being back in a car again every every thursday which is quite um, ironic when you're on your way to see a therapist well exactly yeah, yeah. and you know the we go and you know he the, the the guy was great and but it was very I'm, my I don't have a lot of memory because I've tried I've tried wrongly to shut all of that out and this was a big thing for me was that you know all of through that time I had um therapy and you know he was great but what happened was the moment I turned 18 that service stopped so that service was an NHS service and it stops when you when you turn 18 so that i turned it yeah. so yeah. i turned 18 in the august and he was like he literally had to be go he literally closed the book like that and just said i can't do that you know i i can't do this anymore we're not you know i'm not paid to be <laughs> anymore essentially oh cheers and yeah. you know and it wasn't his fault no you know you know and then but coincident with that i actually decided i didn't want to go I didn't want to go to uni and uh, didn't want to go I didn't want to I like sort of didn't go back to school and then I just resat school and actually a lot of people and a lot of sort of sources of anxiety from school had left so I sort of was able to sort of do and f- finish my year at my year at uni and then what I did was did that and then I went to uni and just parked everything aside and I just thought do you know what, you know, that new year, new me hashtag, you know, like that, you know, moved to, I moved, and this has been a massive theme for me. I moved to university, shoved my feelings aside and thought, I'll just pick them up later. And I went to uni and had a best time mentally. I was probably one of the best places I'd ever been when I was at uni. What uni did you go to again? I went to a place called University of Buckingham and hilariously. So big thing about me is that although I'm quite a big personality, I like things in small doses. So I like things to be small. So when I went to school, I went to a, I like, I went to a really small school. I went to, you know, we only had one high school. There was about 1000 students in this only one high school. And then when I went to uni, I've thought very carefully about where I wanted to go. Originally, I was going to go and do musical theatre. I got into one of the best musical theatre schools in the country called Mount View. And they, I, I sort of went for a bit and didn't enjoy it at all and test, tested that at Waters Out and it was, just wasn't for me. And decided that I wanted to go to a place called, I went to this place called University of Buckingham because I had a friend who went there and he was telling me about how their degrees are two years rather than three. This is not an advert for my university. (laughs) But the thing was, for me, I didn't like this idea of chopping and changing between having a life at university and then coming home in the summer and having to, to, to basically come back and live this life up here. I suppose as well, when you did go home, it was having to deal with those feelings. Yeah, and I think that during that time, I just really put the brakes on all of those feelings and I didn't realise, a lot of these things I didn't realise, it it wasn't until later that I realised I had this. So that whole time I went to uni, shoved them on the back burner and then I came out of uni 
was freelancing for a bit as a journalist and had a few freelance jobs, bits and bobs here and there. And then hilariously, the local editor for the local newspaper, which was a newspaper I'd grown up on and, and sort of when I'd been home, I'd done little bits of work for them and I'd freelanced for the company that owns them, Johnson Press, um, a couple of times down south. And he said, oh, Helen, who's one of our reporters, is going on maternity. Would you like to come and cover her maternity? And I was like, do you know what? Yeah, like that's dear, you know, it's a proper job for a year and let's see how that goes. So I went home and then I suppose that's when things trickled to start come back because I was returning to that place where there was a source of anxiety, even though like, you know, the the car and the, you know, like things like physical, the physical things weren't there mentally, the barriers were still there. So going back and, <laughs> and sort of, I had a, you know, I had a really nice year, but what happened was I then started to not care about myself. So like, this is a, this is another thing. Self-care is, <laughs> you know, something that I just, I probably still properly don't embrace. I embraced it more last year, but the, the, you know, I didn't care about myself physically and, you know, and mentally and things started to go quite badly. I like moved to this cottage for some stupid reason, because the place is so rural. I moved to this cottage in the middle of nowhere. This is a hilarious story. I'll tell it really quickly. But I moved into this, this row of three cottages in the middle of nowhere, like literally like forests around you and stuff like this. And I was moving to the house and I was getting my internet set up and I got, te- I got a call from the, I got an email from the, the internet company saying that my internet had been cancelled successfully. Thank you for your letter, Mr. Pearson, blah, blah, blah. I was like, what's this? Oh, so rang the, the, the letting agent for the house. Yeah. They spent about the best part of the day trying to figure out what had happened. And then I got a phone call from the landlord <laughs> and they go, so you're never going to guess what's happened. And I was like, what? And they were like, they basically said, so we've discovered that your name is Michael Pearson and you live in number two, Holbock Cottage. And we've, and we've discovered that um, someone called Michael Pearson lives in number three, what? Holbock Cottage. And his son, Mike Pearson, lives in number one. Are you messing? <laughs> and it turned out, it literally is like, literally turned out in these three cottages in the middle of nowhere, we were all called Michael Pearson. And then, so it's just absolutely hilarious, like Pearson Row, like we used yeah. to call it. So and obviously I still speak to them, lovely. But I'm sorry, that was, that was, that was just a random story. That, that, that was, that was a, a random story. story. I love but that. basically I moved to these three cottages in the middle of nowhere on Pearson Row in this little sort of uh, ideal of like what I thought life would be like a nice sort of move myself here and I just hated every second of it and I told myself that I was enjoying myself and I wasn't so after I stayed on after my maternity the maternity cover and then it got to about March 2015 and I decided no I can't do this anymore I got a job moved myself completely to Surrey and I got a job working for in uh, Trinity Mirror, which is our company, which is now called Reach. So I got working for the company that I've, and I've not left <laughs> since, but I've moved around quite a bit. And that was a big theme for me, was moving. And when I went to Surrey, that was probably, even though I'd had this really dark time when I was 17, 18, the darkest time for me was when I was living in Surrey. And it's quite hard because I've made some really, it's quite hard to say that. I've never, I don't think I've ever said that before. And it's quite hard because I know people who I worked with in Surrey 
and friends that I had in Surrey do listen to those podcasts. So it's got nothing to do with them. Yeah, it's not their fault. <laughs> I just sort of went into this spiral of worse depression and it was a physically being sort of having this slog of, you know, I had a job that I really enjoyed. I worked with really great people. I come home and I lived in a five bed house share paying 700 quid a month uh, to live in this. I lived in the basement uh, room, so there's no light. It was damp. It smelled bad, really. All the t- It smelled bad all the time. I had this like toilet that was like on the other side under the stairs underneath the thing. And it was just like this horrific setting. And I just got depressed, depressed. And I stopped eating properly and I just put on loads of weight and I just put, kept putting on weight, kept putting on weight. As a and, way of like comfort eating. Yeah. And I, I just thought that would be a way for me to sort of cope with it. And I just, I, I to me, if I'm, if I'm really honest, I don't think I've, I still don't think I've dealt with that properly. And I, I still, I'm still recovering from that in lots of different ways. And I mean, I mean, not to jump around a lot too much, but you know, I thought that dealing with this, how I deal with this is what I'd move. I just keep moving and I moved jobs a couple of times and, you know, and then I was, I got like a promotion and then I was doing more work around the southeast of England and the company we work on now will send me around to sort of work in Kent and Essex and Cambridge and, you know, these were big, long haul drives, you know, long slugs around the awful M25 and, you know, I hated every second of it and it was nothing to do with my company. It was just me and I just probably wasn't in the right place to to, to talk about it but to, and to say I'm having these issues because I think still then we never talked about this. And I do remember Christian Walsh, who we've had on the podcast before, is our colleague. I just remember him writing that piece a good few years ago where he talked about being a man on a sports desk and talking about you know him talking about his mental health and it was probably for me one of the first times and this was before I lived in Liverpool um one of the first times I'd ever seen anyone open up and because he was a big thing about his story was that he'd struggled with his his weight and he used and he talked about you know being I can't remember what his weight was, but I was a similar weight. I think at my most depressed time, I was about 22 stone. So I was in a really, really bad place. And and people didn't realise it because, you know, on the outside, it was like Michael Pearson who does shows and sings and, and you know, like people have known me as a person who corrals people to get... When I was at uni, you know, I went and set up a musical theatre society. We performed huge shows that the, the university had never seen anything like that before. They'd never done anything like that before. And we were just like, yeah, let's do it. Let's have like a great time. And we pulled... It was funny because I met a friend from university at the weekend and she she now works in their marketing department. She oh, says, really? And she says, do you know, we still use marketing pictures from when you did that show. Because it was an example of a time when actually loads of people from the university came together and actually did something in that. And that was always something that that's always something that I'd that I absolutely take pride in being known as someone. I'd still do it now. I'm directing bloody two shows at the same time. But I do that because I you know I enjoy it and it's an escape. It's something to cope with my mental health. That's how I yeah, that's I how gonna, I use my theatre for that. I was that. gonna say like you, you- you, I know we're both busy, but it seems like you're always busy. You're you been able like goes mm. and stuff. Um, and you, you know, you mentioned to me this week you were singing at a funeral. Mm. Um, so 
you're always like to keep yourself busy, but do you think sometimes that's to your detriment because you don't deal with feelings no, still you're, now? You're right. And I think that that is a way of, that's a way of me. That's a way, you know, I, I know busy people and people like to be busy to, to hide away things and say, you know, let's not do it. But I, I think if you'd asked me that question, if you'd asked me that question a year ago, literally this time last year, because it was interesting because this time last year, me and Christine were talking and me and Christine were talking about doing a mental health podcast. And then obviously that's how you and you and Kate were having mm-hmm. a discussion about doing your mental health podcast. And that's how our podcasts came together because we were, we were having this discussion and, and I, I knew I wanted to talk more about my mental health. I think the big difference between here and now is realizing that. Yeah. So realizing that actually that, I do these things to keep myself busy, to keep my anxiety at bay, you know, and and I, I suppose like there is a fear for me of not being busy. I don't know what to do for myself if I haven't got anything to do on a Saturday. I'll make myself busy. But that's maybe just my anxiety. But I don't see, I don't, I don't, but I don't it's interesting because I don't, do you see, I don't know, would you see that as a bad thing? Because. I don't know, because I used to be like that until... And I still do that now and then, but it comes to the point where I burn out and I break down. Yeah. And then I have to realise that I yeah. need to give myself those self-care days. I think that exactly. And it's given your, if you give yourself that time and you know, I mean, the big, the, the big thing is having that awareness. And like, I really think that, you know, opening the doors to your mental health conditions and living with your mental health conditions in a real, really positive way is a really is the way I get myself through it. You know, I sit and go, I'm, I'm, you know, I, you know, if I tell people that I work with on, in a, in, when I do stuff on the stage and I say, oh, you know, I struggle really badly with anxiety, you know, they sort of go, they sort of go, oh, right, I didn't know this. And, you know, you, you, but if you allow it to be part of you, that's a way of tackling it. And that's what I've learned this year from doing this show, you know. And and it's interesting because because I've been able to be more aware of that. I've, you know, last year I went on a big sort of self, uh, self, not self-help, but a, a self sort of. You did PTs. And yeah, like a sort diets. of a bit of a cleansing in myself. And I sort of cleansed. That sounds, well, that sounds awful. What an absolutely awful word. Cle- I cleansed. I remember myself. going to the coffee right. shop and you were like, I'll have a salad. And I was like, croissant. <laughs> I, I went, well, yeah, I'm definitely off. Well, I'm not like that anymore. It's about balance, isn't it? I yeah. I think what happened last year was a big year. Yesterday was a huge year for me because I was doing all of this. I was thinking about my amount of health more. And then obviously I started losing weight. I got a personal trainer. In my, in my opinion, for me, I don't think I could lose that level of weight again without the support mentally and physically from a personal trainer. The personal trainer is not someone who is a good personal trainer is not someone who sits there and shouts at you. It's someone that takes you on a journey with them and says, actually, right, you know, you, you've got this issue with eating pizza <laughs> nine to five morning, noon and night. Like, I like the pizza. <laughs> like, you know, but, you know, it's about managing that and sort of him being someone who, well, he was the, the personal trainer I had because I don't see him anymore. I wish I could afford him still. I just can't afford it. It's so <laughs> expensive. But that's a big thing is that, you know, um, because I was in a place where, because I asked for it for Christmas present last year. But because I had that, that was able to, I, I lost four stone and actually what I've decided to do, something from this podcast was, was, like, was it someone we had on who was doing the Dump the Scales campaign? Yes, 
Hope Virgo. That's it. Hope. I knew it was Hope, and because and, and, we've met Hope now, and she's lovely. And anyway, um, the Hopes drop the scales campaign. Is it dump the scales? Yeah. Dump the scales. Drop the scales. Drop the scales. <laughs> smash the, works. Smash yeah, the scales. Get rid of the scales. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, so I, I adopted that in December, and it's very weird because I've I, I I knew I'd put a lot of weight over Christmas, and then I've this I've been really good in January, as everyone tries to be. And, you know, I don't, it's so, it's really, really weird feeling at the minute. And I actually really like it. That, but not that having scales. Not knowing what weight I am. Yeah. I know that I've, I can physically feel that I've lost weight this month. But that, that being tied, the chain of being on a scales thing has been really uplifting to actually go, no, I don't. I don't, I'm not going to weigh myself. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, I am happy. Go, you know, I've, I've got, a, I've got a part, I've got a structure that works for me. And then if people do want to be healthier in that way, find something that works for them. Like the other thing is like, I mean, cause the, there are gyms of all price brackets that have personal trainers in them. Mm. So I know that now like even at like pure gym and the gym, which are like sort of the cheaper ends of the scales, they have personal trainers in there. Um, and you know, like, I suppose it's about finding, cause that's another thing. I hate the gym, but I found a gym that really works for me. It's a little bit more expensive a month, but I've, they, the gym I go to, they separate the, 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 the sort of the weight section. They just live in their own corner. So like the meatheads or whatever <laughs> we call them, they live in their little section and then you can, and they actually separate with a ladies gym as well. Yeah. So it's like, they've, they've found a really nice safe space for people to come and to come in, which was key for me. And I think that is the key for everyone. Like if you, if working out doesn't work for everyone, does it? You know? No. And I think one thing about doing this podcast is that you can sometimes say things and not everyone will agree with you and they will tell you that they oh, don't yeah. agree with you, yeah. which is fine. And I get that because, you know, it's probably like, it's like we've had that all our lives as journalists anyway. I think what we do here is, you know, in, in these podcasts is we're trying to find ways of people to, to sort of find something that, works for them and you know like if you know being more open and being more accepting of your insecurities your your anxiety the depression and things like that you know um you know then find something that works for you I think it if I, I as I've just said about 50 times now you know finding a way of giving your anxiety a, a nice warm hug mm. <laughs> you know that's that's something which gets me through a day and that's something that I've really only realized in the last few weeks months you know and it's only been because what we've been doing really mm. so. I would like to give you a goal I feel like we should do this for each other okay so you you, you do you, I have to give you a goal next week yeah yeah okay. so I feel like I want you to sort of get over your fear of n- not being busy on a Saturday mm. so I feel like you should have one day where, and I know you do this because I've seen you take Tony for walks, which <laughs> I am very jealous of. I take um, little sausage, Tony sausage for yeah, a walk. Yeah, Tony sausage is um, the the dog, the sausage dog who is owned by the lovely Joe Rimmer, who works for he the works, Yeah, he works, he works with us in the office. Yeah, and, um, and I've not met him yet and I really want a sausage yeah. dog, so I'm very, very jealous. With, you can come with me on the... Yeah, I, for, I suppose I'll have to, to, to ensure yeah. you do the goal. Um, so yeah, I would like you to... Spend a Saturday doing absolutely nothing and just looking after yourself. Mm. And then I want you to tell me how you feel felt about it. I, I will feel do like it. you're looking no, at no, me like, no, that's not going to happen. No, 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 <laughs> I do. It's just, it's, 
it's just that, you know, I can do it. I just, I feel like I know, I feel like I know when I need to do it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I'm not saying you have to yeah. do it next Saturday. I would like, <laughs> I would like you to, yeah. yeah to, to just do nothing. Yeah. yeah. On one day. Or... I feel like that's when my anxiety will rife through. And not in a bad way. I'll just feel like I need to do something. I just do you ever feel, do you, do you ever feel like you need to just do something? Yeah. I, I've gone through quite a lot of heavy periods of that which we'll talk mm. about next week. But when I was in Lancaster, I felt like that all the time. Whereas now I don't feel as guilty, yeah. like having lazy days. I think that's, for me, that's a big feeling of feeling guilt, like not being productive with my time. I feel very guilty for it. Mm. And I still do now um, to the point where I do bear myself out. But at the same time, I do, now that I've got my own house, I sort of appreciate those self-care days more. I'm jealous. I need, that's my next step. I need to buy a house this year. See, that that's another thing I'd maybe like to talk about a little, just a little bit briefly is about relationships as well. Mm. I feel like in my anxiety journey and my mental health journey, I've never, I've, I have a real fear of relationships. And it may be different for me because obviously, so obviously I, I'm gay. I'm, I'm open about that. I'm happy to talk about that. And, you know, I there's maybe a difference between heterosexual relationships and same sex relationships because there is still stigma around same sex relationships, but I can't believe in. Well, well, yeah, but but, you know, and I think, I think that, I think there'll always will be like, I mean, I just, I mean, I, so I, Oh God, I should, I shouldn't really talk about this, but like I met, I sort of started seeing someone last month and I feel like that basically, or since I've started seeing that person, all I've tried to do is shut them out. And I just feel like that is my anxiety saying no, because you're you're busy with other things and you shouldn't be busy with a relationship. So I sort of, you know, and maybe that maybe there's other reasons there, and that it's not my mental health, and it's actually that person maybe might not be right for me. But that's another that's another I shouldn't really talk. About, I shouldn't really poor poor guy. Sorry, they you know you know you shouldn't you shouldn't sort of um you you shouldn't. You know, like, I don't, I, I'm not ready there. I'm not there. Yeah. And I feel like I've got to, and it, which is really a thing about, uh, you know, maybe just a, a brief question to you is that you, because you've had that relationship and, you know, like there's, there's a real, there's something there that you have with, with Ma- Mark, Mark. Mark, Mark, sorry. Yeah. That, well, I feel like though, it's not all roses and smiles mm-hmm. and stuff because Mark has gone through a lot with me and, you know, at the same time, though, it's took me a while to find Mark, shall we say, who's mm. the one for me. Um, I've had a lot of abusive relationships in the past, um, emotionally and physically. I've been locked in hotel rooms. I've suffered, you know, from a lot with men. And I feel like it's took me a while to get to the, the point yeah. where I've been comfortable with my and mental health. trust them. And, yeah. So I feel like everyone's different. And, you know, just because you perhaps see someone having a good time on social media with their boyfriend doesn't mean that. Yeah. It's, I feel like what I'm trying to say is I feel like a lot of people see the positive side of relationships, which is great. Not, but at the same yeah. time, it's this, the relationships that are there to be worked on the, the, the a task for both each other. And I feel like, um, just because you haven't met the one yet doesn't mean that that's a bad thing. And I suppose, and that's a big thing about social media as well. You know, a big difference between us is that, which people will, people may notice and you probably notice, is that 
I do not flash that around. I do not flash around. Well, I do, but I don't <laughs> do, but I don't, I don't sort of, we take very different approaches mm. to talking about mental health on social media, you know, and like, and that's something we've talked about a lot in our podcasts. And there's been a lot of tips and tricks that we've sort of taken with us from other people this year. I know you've taken, you know, there was, there was, um, we had someone on who was talking about sort of creating like a community for your Facebook and that being for your, you know, your Twitter, your Instagram yeah. and that being a, a safe place to go. And, you know, I just, I just sort of haven't found that. I think, I feel like for me, the, my safest place is on like my Instagram and stuff like that. I find that to be a safe space, but you know, like I don't, you know, you are very open in, on talking on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram. And I just, Maybe that's just a thing for me as well. That could be that's another goal. That's not necessarily the right thing that I do, though. You know, um, that's just something that works for me. And I feel like sometimes I can share a bit too much. <laughs> but um, that's just my way of, of venting, if you like, like an sort of like an online diary to sort of, because I find once I write something down, that feeling sort of goes out my head. Um, do you but, feel that you have, sorry, do you feel that you have people come to you and sort of say, thank you for sharing that? And I do and I don't. Yeah. Um, I get it a lot less now, but I, I, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I just feel like people might be like, oh, there's Gemma's mm. mental health post again. What are you <laughs> saying this time? But no, I don't know. I just feel like I don't necessarily, it sounds really selfish, but I don't necessarily do it all the time to help others. I sort of do it to help myself in terms of, yeah. I need to get this out of my head and this is how I'm feeling. I'm not necessarily looking for feedback or encouragement. Yeah. I just need to tell someone. No, that's it. And I just, I, I think that's maybe something that, I need to figure out about my confidence in myself to be sort of more open on. But you, you have know. confidence in, in such a different way and in, in, in such a way that I could never do. I could never get up on stage and physically deal with my anxiety there and then in front of a lot of people. I could never do that. And the reason why I know that is I tried to do that when I was in primary mm. school and I was always the, the tree or the sheep at the back because I was just terrified. Of so, having any know, so was I, I was bird too yeah. in, like, in, in one of the Christmas carol in Christmas. But I feel like for you to, you know, really em embrace your anxiety and go, right, you little shit, you're coming with me on this stage yeah. is really empowering. And, and you should give yourself more credit for that. You know, just because you're not vocal on social media doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Yeah. You're vocal in, in the real world. And that's what matters. Yeah. Maybe that maybe that's uh your that's my goal for you. No, 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 to come on to come on uh to come to one of my rehearsals. Because one of them's in Chester. So we'll have to film it. <laughs> that happens. We'll have to film us going on a little walk and then me on stage. Like. <laughs> yeah, get you on the story house stage oh in Chester. God. I do like the story house. It's yeah. lovely theatre, yeah. yeah. And that's uh, tomorrow. Directing June 2020. <laughs> mm. Made in Dagenham. Yeah. Pro, pro, pull it out for everyone there. Yeah, a little, uh, little uh, drop there. Starring Gemma Sherlock. Oh no, God, no. <laughs> you would lose money. <laughs> If you've been affected by anything you've heard in today's episode, you can get the proper advice you need. We aren't experts, but the Samaritans provide free, confidential support for people experiencing feelings of distress or despair. You can phone them 24 hours a day on 116123 or visiting thesamaritans.org.uk. The Diana Award also provides a crisis messenger service which gives young people 24-hour crisis support across the UK. If you are a young person in crisis, you can text DA for free to 85258. That's DA 
to 85258.